On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Benita Patel as we discuss handling mass vaccination delivery within pharmacy leadership. Hi everyone and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by the Ohio State University Lachalet Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Dr. Benita Patel is currently the Vice President of Pharmacy Services at Memorial Hermann Health System. She is responsible in her role for pharmacy services across the entire enterprise and continuum of care. Prior to joining Memorial Hermann, Benita was Director at PHS Consulting, where her primary focus was in specialty pharmacy and PBM practices. Benita then spent two years at Lash Group as Senior Director of Strategic Account Management, and then 10 years in academic medicine, serving as the Director of Ambulatory Services at Fredericton Medical College of Wisconsin, where she developed clinical ambulatory services, including retail, male pharmacies, specialty pharmacy, pharmacist-managed clinics, prior authorization, and patient assistance programs. She has been responsible for strategic growth across the pharmacy enterprise in a variety of areas. Dr. Patel received her BS in microbiology at the University of Georgia, her doctor of pharmacy degree at the University of North Carolina, and her master of science degree at the Ohio State University. Okay, let's jump into our interview with Dr. Patel. Benita, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob, for having me this afternoon. And thank you. Obviously, you're an Ohio State alumnus. Uh, we're very proud of the fact that you're in such an influential uh, position of leadership there uh, in Texas and uh, one of our proud Texas uh, folks. Uh, but just tell us a little bit, Benita, how you got to Texas and a little bit about your career path. Sure. So, Bob, as you know, I'm an Ohio State alum. Um, I did my undergrad pharmacy or my undergrad work at the University of Georgia. I got my PharmD at the University of North Carolina. And then during that time at North Carolina, I always say I met a man and his name is Fred Eckel. And Fred Eckel was the third graduate of the Ohio State Residency yes, Program he was. while I was there. Yeah. And he's the one who told me about Ohio State and Jerry Siegel at that time. And so I ended up doing a rotation with Jerry in my fourth year of pharmacy school. And then lo and behold, I, I was able to um, get accepted to the residency program at Ohio State. And, and that's how I landed in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And then, then in parallel, I got married. Mm-hmm. And then I met a man again, of course, and I married him. And he was training, um, medical training um, in Wisconsin at Braidart in the Medical College of Wisconsin. So after I graduated, I moved up to Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and joined 
Braidart in the Medical College as the Assistant Director of Ambulatory Services, not really knowing what I was going to get into at that time because ambulatory wasn't where it is today, or ambulatory pharmacy specifically. But thankfully, through opportunities and mentorship there, I, I grew my role into being the Director of Ambulatory Services. And then as everybody kind of gets to a point in their career where they start um, thinking about what's next, they're really focused in on trying to get back home to the Carolinas where I'm from. And so my husband and I moved to North Carolina. And at that point, um, we thought that was going to be the end all be all. You know, that was our goal is to get home. But unfortunately, life happens. And so we made another move to Houston, Texas. Um, I always say I follow my husband and I do. And so I followed him to Houston, Texas. And there, um, he joined a practice group here, and then I started to look at opportunities, not really thinking that I was going to leave Amerisource Bergen, who I joined in North Carolina, because I, I was very happy doing what I was doing, which was really helping other organizations grow in their specialty business, just as I'd helped um, Freighter do that. And then, um, and, but this job came open, and I was like, I'm just going to go and apply and, and see how it goes. And so, six years, so six rounds later ish. Um, I became the vice president of pharmacy services here at Memorial Hermann Health System, where I've been now for over two years. And I also oversee their admin program. So I'm able to give back as um, Bob and Jerry have given to me in so many different ways. And so that's uh, part of the Houston program then? It is. It is. It's led under Divya Barkey. But yeah, we have we have the admin program here. Yes, we uh, we interviewed Alex, uh, uh, one of our first podcast guests, did a great job and talking about how his organization managed the pandemic. So uh, if I recall, another OSU grad, Daryl Newcomer, was he not the director of pharmacy at Herman Hospital prior, uh, like years ago? He may have been at the site. I'm not. I'm not sure if he was the the he oversaw all of pharmacy services. No, no, he didn't. At the time, there was no pharmacy. That would have been in the 70s and early oh. 80s, 70s to the late 70s to sort of early 90s, mid 90s. And Daryl's been retired probably a good 10 or 12 uh, years. So, uh, but I just recall that he was there. He's a grant. He did his residency at Grant, and uh, again, one of our proud Texas. Uh, pharmacy leaders. Well, we've got a few here, Bob. I mean, between... <laughs> I know, I know. I know. We represent well here at, in we Houston. We've a lot of really good people down there from our program as well. So yeah, you guys have a great team. You have a fabulous team. So um, obviously, March 13th last year, everything shuts down. March 13th, 2020, bars close, everything closes, COVID hits. We have this surge of, you know, COVID... Uh, Houston, terrible surge uh, in Houston. Uh, and then obviously things sort of settled down and then another surge in the winter and then the vaccine comes out a week of December 14th, our first couple weeks. And uh, <clears throat> obviously pharmacy is, you know, sort of vaulted into the spotlight during that day when all these pharmacists are giving shots on TV and that sort of thing. It was really, 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 really cool to see that. And now people are depending on us to implement these uh, you know, vaccination programs because of our expertise. And so you obviously have a huge role in coordinating a very large vaccination program. And the purpose of our discussion today is just to kind of bend your ear about sort of how you did it. What are some of the secrets to success? But also, uh, Benita, what, like, what, what has this taught you as a leader? How has this helped 
you to grow uh, as a leader. So, so sort of starting from the beginning, when, when did you start even vaccinating as a health system? Around December 15th? Yeah, actually, that was the exact day. We got, we received Pfizer at 8.30 in the morning on December 15th, mm-hmm. and we vaccinated our first patient at 10 o'clock that morning. And wow. so, we were, yeah, we were, we were the first, we claimed that in Houston to vaccinate um, the first patient. Yeah. And so we started with our employees mm-hmm. um, because at that point, you know, the amount of vaccines we got was very small compared to what we're getting. 975 or something? Or? Yeah, we, we were actually a little bit, we got a little bit more. Um, okay. we, we got a few thousand that first round. Oh, good. Because Houston was designated as one of these hubs before that even word became popular. And so it was really based on the number of employees we had is how the allocation first came out. Because at that point, we were still in phase 1A. And so um, on December 15th, we received Pfizer. And that's really where our journey started that day. And so our focus was, of course, the employees like everybody else. And then as more and more allocation came open, we were able to then give a little bit more to the community. How long did it take you to plan just that first event, just that first set of vaccine? Like, what was the planning process? When did you start? Did you start in October, September? Like, when, when did you start knowing that you'd get vaccine? Probably in December or January. Yes, we started in September where we first bought our first ultra-low freezer. Because that was the big hype, right? We didn't know exactly which of the storage requirements the manufacturers would give out, but we knew the most significant one was getting an ultra low. And that's when we started to purchase the ultra low freezers with September because we knew it would take a few months to get it approved because they're not cheap, as you know. And so no, getting it <laughs> and getting more than one was definitely, you know, part of our, our strategy. And so we got four. And so getting the financials and, and buying it really took some time. And then, and then we kind of sat with it because we didn't exactly know when it was going to be released and how quickly the EAE process would go. Right. Right. And you know, see so what's interesting about a sort of interesting tidbit for the folks listening is that what Benita talks about is planning ahead. And so obviously, you know, as a pharmacy leader, you need to be thinking ahead and Benita obviously thought ahead many months ahead, uh, really accounting for lag time in terms of getting refrigerators, getting the budget approval, because they are extremely expensive, understanding where you're going to put them, you know, and all those things. So Benita, did you start out with a small space within the health system, like a four, like some kind of auditorium or, or what, where, where did you vaccinate folks at first? We vaccinated, actually, we, we were a little bit different. We had the big bang theory. So on the first day we vaccinated at the TMC, which is our medical center um, site. But the next day, we rolled out vaccinations to all 16 hospitals. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It was, it was an undertaking, Bob, because, so yeah. That, so how, let, me ask, well, let me ask you this. What, what, what went into the thought processes about it? Because that's amazing to me. I mean, totally. So the amount of coordination and planning on your part, obviously, you're, you're the co-lead uh, along with your administrative, uh, you know, I'm sorry, ambulatory director, colleagues. So, geez, how did you guys pull that off? That is really, truly amazing. Yeah, we've, well, the thought process behind it was that the leadership at each of the campuses were getting pressure from their staff to, 
to wanting the vaccine. So we didn't want to show favoritism right. to the campus that actually got it because we, we truly do act like a system. Sure. And so we were like, we had to allocate. So we allocated a few of the first initial doses we got to every single campus. And then we, we signed, we, we developed a, a spreadsheet to say which areas would be the first, like the EDs and the critical care area staff would get it first. And we didn't even say it had to be a physician or a nurse. We said anybody that works in that area who wants right. one, we allocated that much to. So we did it by area of practice within each of the risk sites. Of exposure to COVID, right? Right. It was all based on expo- the risk to COVID. Got it. Right. Okay. So then you, then you essentially had sixteen. Wow. And then there was like basically sixteen vaccination clinics. Like, what was what was the thought around? staffing and sort of did each pharmacy then control how what was the pharmacy yeah, so the pharmacy the pharmacy site leaders at each of the campuses were responsible for staffing their their clinic along with occupational health that was our initial that was my co-lead was the oc health leader I got um, at, okay. at the system level to be able to support each of the oc health sites who who were administering that's a, and then occupational health would be like employee health in most like employee yes. health service in most. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so then, okay, you go you've and, and is that still operating today where you've got these sixteen sites sort of or was there consolidation over? Yeah, time we consolidated not? because the inventory management was brutal, as you know. Oh yes. Oh. Yes, and so we've consolidated now to eight campus sites. Okay, and then. Um, Pharmacist roles, like far, obviously pharmacy is a prep, does preparation as well as vaccination or what's the pharmacy? Yep, we do both. So we do prepar- we do operations management, we do inventory management, and then we do the draw part of it because we do draw up um, for the, the vaccinators and then we vaccinate as well. So based on resources, we can be in any given role at any given time. And, and the pharmacist and the pharmacy is... It's actually been phenomenal because that's the one profession that can do any of these roles. Yes, exactly. And what I think is amazing to me, and I know that obviously you've proven it out by what you're saying, is that the role, the pharmacy's central central value to this process is so is so unique in that, you know, we've got this role that we can do all these roles, we can uh, and we can help our patients and other professions can't. And so they depend on us, you know, to, to, to really do these roles. Uh, and it really has highlighted, in my opinion, the value of, of the health system pharmacist. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but it is really in my organization, like we are, we, we've gotten a lot of good press. We have to, we have to, we truly have owned COVID. And I, I, I tell people this all the time, like the pharmacy leaders and the staff had been involved. So think about it. When remdesivir hit our shelves, right? Right. It was like, we thought that was going to be the end-all be-all. And then it became the monoclonal antibodies. And now mm-hmm. it's the vaccines. And and every other area potentially is like, okay, we're not dealing with COVID as much. And I'm like, we're still in the thick of it. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. So there's a bit of a conundrum in that. I was in a meeting this morning where I was giving an update to the administrative leaders to the C- to C-suite and said, we're, we're really in the thick of vaccine and it's stressing us out. And from a leader's perspective, you know, we're not done with COVID and a lot of people are starting to move on. So, you know, exactly to your point. Um, 
So, you know, obviously the success is really many in many ways is due to you as a leader. I mean, I, in, in my opinion, the fact that this, this program is so successful is really due to your tenacity and your ability to kind of keep things going and, and the reputation that you and your department have in the organization. So, so how, what has this all taught you about leadership and how has this changed your leadership uh, style, skill, strategy? Like what, do, what have you learned? When you got- so it's interesting. So I, I, I was just talking to somebody else about that today. I was like, what have I, what have I learned about all this? That it's not a sprint and it's a marathon, right? I'm, I, I have the type of personality to, to always want to do more, do it better and do it quick. And with COVID, it's, re- it's made me realize that it truly is a marathon and that um, managing through something that has been so earth shattering, really, mm-hmm. has taught me the importance of self-care and, and balance and knowing that it's going to take us a little bit. We're not going to be able to conquer all of it all at once because we're going to, I mean, this is, this is a journey and, and we're on it. And pharmacy has shown to to be a part of it since day one. And we're the one, as you mentioned, we're one of the few that hasn't been able to like slow it down. And we are wearing two hats, our day job and our COVID hat. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, again, I, I spend all day vaccinating and prepping and doing things on Wednesdays. I mean, that's that's the day that I'm, I'm over there. I also go over there if they need help. And, uh, you know, we just can't, you can't get away from it as a leader. So I think part of the leadership challenge is how do you then manage the rest of your team through it in terms of, so for example, organizational priorities that all of a sudden somebody says to you, Benita, we need to grow the specialty farms here. You know, we need to do this project or I need a pharmacist to participate in this project. How do you sort of protect your staff during this time where they're so overloaded? So, well, thankfully, because of the work that we have done, we've been able to expand our system team by three FTEs in next year's budget. Because that's been my that's been my message is if we continue to work at this, we're going to miss out on opportunities that can support the organization in other ways, like cost savings and revenue generation. Correct. So, if if you truly want us to be part of this, we're going to we're going to need some help because there's no way we can continue to wear two hats and be successful. Right. And because we've shown success prior to COVID and during COVID, there's a level of trust now that says, hey, she's she's not just asking for the sake of asking, right? She truly right. now needs it because we've been working like this for over a year and we haven't made the request yet. Yeah. And the credibility, I, I do believe, is there. And I can, you know, I, I'm sure it is obviously in your organization. I know it is here in terms of the value that we're that we're bringing to this whole issue. So, so the, the what intrigues me is when I was I was watching TV and saw the Houston uh, football stadium mass vaccination. So obviously you were involved in that and leading that as well, correct? Yes, yes. It was actually my brainchild. I call it my Christmas Eve uh, brainchild. Well, tell us a little bit about that project. Yeah. So after we got the, after the first few weeks of getting just a, a few a few thousand doses. The week before Christmas, we got this like enormous amount, like 10,000 doses were coming our way. Mm. And the goal for us and the goal of the state that has put on us is you must use all your doses within the week. Mm. Yes. And so we were like, I was like, oh my God, how are we going to do this? Because we can't do it out of the 16 clinics who are, who are doing maybe a hundred to 200 a day at that point. Right. And so, um, 
I reached out to the rodeo volunteers. So the rodeo is a big deal here in Houston. I didn't really know that, but it is. And, and there's a lot of volunteers that support it. Well, the rodeo was canceled this year because of COVID. So I reached out to our medical director who supports the rodeo as well. And I said, would your volunteers want to help us? Because they're tied to the football stadium. Because I knew we weren't going to be able to get this kind of staffing on our own. And she said, yes, the rodeo volunteers want to help us. So then I was like, okay, I've got, I've got staffing. Staffing's always a big deal. Now let me figure out space. So then we reached out to the NRG, which, um, which is the home of the Texans. They're our football, yeah. our national mm-hmm. football team. And so they said, yeah, we would love to be able to support you in this way. And so Christmas Eve, we were all on the phone, NRG, the Rodeo Volunteer Leadership, and then Memorial Herman to say, can we do this? And how quickly can we do it? Because we need to burn this, this vaccination. And so then within two and a half weeks, we were vaccinating 4,000 a day. Oh, and we, wow. did, we did that for two, three days that week. And then the public health department in town said, hey, we have some extra doses. Can we give them to you at the NRG? And can you help us vaccinate? And so we took that on as well that first weekend. And lo and behold, because of the operations that we were able to build, FEMA came in last month and took over the operations. And now they're doing it seven days a week at the NRG. Oh, okay. Well, that's really cool. So that's quite a feather in your cap to be able to have orchestrated and led such an I know uh, President Biden was there, correct? Yeah, he was there, too. So it was a proud moment for us because I bet it was. The FEMA used all of our operations to develop that site. And so we just kind of left all of our stuff there and gave them the the toolkits and, and the playbook and said, here you go. And so, yeah, they spent a week with us just watching what we were doing. So then, so then is it a drive-through? It's a drive-through. Yep. So literally a patient drives in their car all the way through the process. Even the vaccination is given to them. We we, we have them open their door, stick their arm out, give them the shot of hope, and then they drive and sit in observation and wait 15 minutes to get observed. Got it. And then who's, who's monitoring folks when they're in their car? And if they have an issue, they beep their horn or they, is that what happens? Or We have um, clinicians who monitor the area and then we have two EMS on site along with the physician just in case there's an adverse event that we, we need to be able to have higher level support for. And so it's all clinician driven volunteers from across the county, along with our own employees who um, observe. And if there's an issue, we ask them to roll their window down, beep their horn, flash their hazards if there's an issue. Um, we also ask them to set a timer so they know when their 15 minutes are up. Interesting. Well, that's that's really cool. And then so and then, so this is ongoing. And how many is now how many is FEMA doing per day? So FEMA is doing 47,000 a day. 49,000 a week. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And then in parallel, we'll all, we're also doing stand-up drive-throughs across the Houston metro area as well. So this week we were at the University of Houston at their football stadium yesterday, actually, um, doing 4,000. And then we're going to be in our one of our um, suburbs this coming week doing another 10,000, 5,000 a day. Do you use, do you enter the documentation into your electronic medical record? Yeah. So, yeah, so once the patient um, enters there, so let's say you found the link on our website. We use right. um, social media a lot. So on our website and you register, as soon as you enter in your demographic information that we require, um, you are automatically into our EMR. 
And so that documentation flows straight into the EMR. So when you come to get your vaccination, all your demographics are there. All we need to put in is your dose administration information. I see. And then um, obviously there's a screening, their pharmacists or the nurses or physician assistants or whomever is administering the vaccine, then screens the patient, administers the vaccine, and then there's a monitoring period. And then is it the scheduling of the next appointment happen right at that point in time? No, it actually happens automatically as soon as you... Um, as soon as you sign or as soon as you get administered and that first dose administration information is put into the EMR, it automatically schedules you for a second dose. Oh, that's really neat. That is really cool. Yeah. We, we have similar systems, but we have registration folks that come behind, come behind us and that will actually register people for three weeks. Uh, or whatever. And our registration people are actually are not clinical. So we actually use a lot of volunteers. Actually, the rodeo staff loves the registration area. Because all they do, we've created a checklist. So make sure that they don't have any of these or have, you know, are on the schedule and that's their job. So we use a lot of volunteers to be able to get the line moving as quickly as it does. Our turnaround time on any on any given day or um, day during or any given time during the day, we can range as high as an hour between registration all the way through observation or as low as um, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we're, we're, we're in that range as well. Uh, we're not doing, obviously, as many. We're doing about 3,800 per day. Uh, but how have the pharmacists reacted to this opportunity to vaccinate? It actually fills their gas tank up. They've already been, you know, part of the, the front lines, but now this is the end of the front line, right? So they've seen all the patients on the inpatient side, but now it's their chance to really see the light at the end of the tunnel when they, when they participate. We've had a really good um, turnout when it comes to asking for volunteers, the pharmacy staff, from all the way from leadership to the pharmacist to the pharmacy technicians to help draw. Mm-hmm. Has, they've been um, invaluable to help do all of this. So we're not only doing the eight clinics on our campuses, but we're doing mass vaccinations almost every day, this, um, the month of April and May. So layer all that on top of what's happening in the hospitals as well. That's amazing, Benita. That really. So then, how um, how are you getting to the underserved or folks that? Uh, I guess two questions: How are you getting to the underserved, and how are you dealing with vaccine hesitancy in that population? Sure. So we're we partnered with um, community leaders in town. So we've um, actually been at two churches. Mm-hmm. And the University of Houston, which are in some of the hardest hit area by zip code. Mm-hmm. And so that's one avenue we've done. Um, we've partnered with um, uh, federally qualified health centers as well to target those hardest hit. And then it's really through messaging using our community um, stakeholders and our key opinion leaders to be able to drive the message to support vaccinations and to be vaccinated. And we're really, at, our, at those clinics, we're using um, either Moderna or Pfizer. That's all we really have gotten. Um, we have not gotten much of J&J at all. So those clinics are, are still using the two dose. Yeah, and I think some of what I've understood with health, progressive health systems like yours and ours, the reason why we were getting the Pfizer products is, is mainly because of the fact that we have the capability for storage and management. And whereas uh, smaller rural, rural areas may not just because of the storage considerations of a, of a Johnson & Johnson vaccine, for example. So, right. so this has been quite a journey for you and your team. Um, so, you know, given what you've 
been through in the last year. I'm sure it's changed, it's changed your view of leadership. It's also changed, probably changed your view a little bit of sort of what, what residency will, you know, really means to people now in terms of some of these experiences. So what, what advice do you have for our residents? I would say, Matt, any opportunity is a good opportunity, right? We didn't realize what COVID would bring to us in terms of the opportunity. Don't shy away from it. Take it, take it head on. Even if it's something like vaccinating, you know, something that doesn't seem as glamorous as other parts of our profession really has um, brought the value of our profession to the highest levels I've seen in my professional career. So I would say take on any challenge, regardless of how small or large the challenge is, take it on and do it well. Yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you that, the, again, you know, uh, the, the public's perception of the pharmacy, I think, in my opinion, has been incredibly elevated because of our role in the pan, even in community pharmacies. And I'm sure your community pharmacies within your systems that did like, like drive by delivery, you know, pickup or whatever during the height of COVID and all the things that we did to take care of our patients, I think has really elevated us in the eyes of the public. And I think, you know, obviously your, your leadership and the leadership of your team, you know, has been uh, really uh, sounds like it's been just a, a really, really a godsend for the organization. So it really you. has. It's, it's definitely been a ride and the ride continue is going to continue. Yeah. And, and we're, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we continue to, to, to beat this pandemic and continue to help our patients the way that we've always, always done it. But I, I think, you know, obviously our, our Ohio state training has taught us to, you know, to, to be innovative and take on any challenge as, as you said, and for the residents, listening, it's really important to hear what Benita is saying is any, any opportunity is important. And that's actually what Alex Barkey said when I interviewed him uh, in one of the first podcasts was those opportunities that you think are not important or don't sound glamorous or, you know, high, high powered are those opportunities that provide the best experience and also provide the best exposure and just, you know, just, just the best outcome uh, for our profession. So, Anything else you'd like to add for the residents, Benita? Anything, any other pearls of wisdom for them? You know, I just, it lets, you know, being thankful for what we have and, and, and what we've been able to do during this time to be able to serve in the capacity that we have been able to. So good luck to those residents, especially as you graduate and you take on your first jobs, knowing that you're going to take on your first jobs during a pandemic. So it's always going to be a new learning for sure. And with podcasts like this, I know that they'll learn and they'll walk away with a sense of, of sort of how to become involved, how to be a leader and how to do good for people. So with that, Benita, thanks again. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on this show. We're very proud of your service, very proud of you as an Ohio State alumnus and keep up the great work over in Houston, Texas. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.